Happy New Year to all of you. It's 2019, which is kind of crazy to think about. We'll all blink, and it'll be December, right? Um, I don't know how uh, any of you guys would describe 2018. If, if you could um, throw a word out there um, and uh, try to give some sort of grasp or understanding to the rest of the world as to what last year was like for you. I don't know what that, that word would be. I can't come up with a word for myself. All I can say is that uh, for me and my family, 2018 was, was really one of the most difficult years in recent history. Um, it was a year that involved several medical issues, multiple significant unanticipated home repairs, the financial challenges associated with both of those categories, it was a year in which uh, two of my dearest loved ones were diagnosed with cancer. It was a year in which I preached my own grandfather's funeral only months after finding out that his diagnosis was terminal. Uh, it was a year in which the, the never ceasing rain felt like some sort of visual version of a soundtrack providing a backdrop to all of the sorrow. You know, Ross and Rachel's breakup wouldn't be quite as good without you two's with or without you playing in the background and rain just pouring down the window of the apartment. That's what 2018 felt like uh, for me. If you, if you sense this, this deep longing for Jesus's return throughout the course of our Advent series, going back to just a few weeks ago, it's because the, the, the one responsible for the preaching of that series really did want Jesus to come quickly, uh, if I'm honest. 2018 was a year in, in which I felt like uh, a little kid standing knee deep in the ocean longing to, to splash around in joy and yet finding myself and, and others close to me pummeled by the waves, you might say. Before I could get my footing from the last one, the next one just knocking me over, sorrows like sea billows rolling, you might say. We, we all go through those kind of seasons, season, seasons in which it seems as though, to, to quote Charles Spurgeon, all of our birds are owls or ravens. For some of us, maybe that quote sums up 2018 for you. For others, maybe 2018 uh, was a year in which it, it was as though the Lord put a hedge around you, a year in which good things seemed to come in waves to use that same imagery, that same ocean imagery. And, and then there are those who maybe experienced both, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, 2018, a metaphorical roller coaster of emotions. Regardless of how any of us feels about it, 2018 is in the rearview mirror. It's over. It's a new year. It's a year... Uh, in which happiness and sorrow are both sure to come. To use the, the poetic language of Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, time to weep and a time to laugh, time to mourn and a time to dance. Some of us, though we haven't really given it much thought, will do some of the most glorious dancing and laughing that we've ever known in the coming months. Others of us, some of the most heavy-hearted mourning and weeping. This morning is an exhortation to not waste your laughter this year, to not waste your sorrow, your tears, that, that both present us with this opportunity to draw near to the living God, to see and savor him in ways that, that we've never imagined, to, to behold his goodness, glory, and grace in the face of Jesus Christ on a whole new level. And so with that being said, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Psalm 43 this morning. It's where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You can grab that Bible and open up to this morning's passage. That Bible is yours if you don't own a Bible or you have a translation that's difficult to track with. I actually 
I was reminded this week that uh, to start off 2016, I preached Psalm 42. So basically, we're just continuing a series from 2016 this morning. Let me, uh, let me pray for us, and, and we'll, we'll get on with it. Lord, help. We come in this morning, and many of us have our plans and our dreams and our hopes for the year that we've just embarked upon. And by the time this year is all said and done with, we will have balled up that piece of paper and thrown it in a wastebasket because we are not sovereign, only you are. You're the only one in this gathering who has any clue of what is to come this year for any of us. And so I pray that we would draw near to you in both the laughter and the weeping, in both the dancing and the mourning, that we would see something more of your goodness, glory, and grace. God, would you give us a vision for that? Would you help us to walk out of here by your spirit with maybe a different perspective on 2019, one that would cause us all the more to taste and see that you are good this year. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the book of Psalms, one of the most beloved books in all of the Bible, Martin Luther once said, in the Psalms, we look into the heart of all the saints and we seem to gaze into fair pleasure gardens, into heaven itself indeed, where bloom the sweet, refreshing, gladdening flowers of holy and happy thoughts about God and all his benefits. Book of Psalms has been referred to as the hymn book of the Old Testament, a collection of songs to be sung by God's people in response to who he is and what he's done and will do. In the Psalms, we, we come face to face with, with two things, namely God and ourselves. We see the fullness and beauty of who God is on the one hand, and we encounter the fullness of the human condition and experience on the other hand. And what that means is that regardless of what 2018 was like for you, regardless of your expectation of 2019, the Psalms are a really good place to go this year and, and let your soul steep, you might say. Psalm 43 is what's known as a lament. In a lament, we encounter the writer pouring out to God his sorrow, his anger, his fear, his confusion, his discontentment, his disappointment, and on and on we could go. Look at verse one. It says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Psalmist finds himself in a situation in which he's uh, facing opposition at the hands of the ungodly, crying out to God for both vindication and deliverance. His emotional state is, is one of sadness. It's one of mourning. He has this feeling sense that God has rejected him in his dark night of the soul, and yet he, he declares that there's no other refuge than God to run to. You, you can just hear him crying out like the man in Mark chapter nine, I believe God, help my unbelief. Through the tears this temptation to lend his ear to doubt, he cries out to God. Verse three, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist cries out to God to guide him with both light and truth into God's very presence. Let me just pause here for 
a moment and say this. If you're not a Christian, the rest of this sermon is not gonna be very helpful to you because it assumes a relationship with the God of the psalmist, a relationship that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It's, it's Jesus who declared himself to be the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 43, the light and the truth that guides us into the very presence of God. Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world who came to rescue us from the darkness of our own sin, to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, in the life. He's the truth that, that we must embrace if God is to be our exceeding joy, to use the language of the psalmist. Jesus lived the sinless life that we could never live. He died the sinner's death that we deserve to die. He rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin and death. So that if you're not a Christian, the call this morning is to behold the light and the truth of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. To, to turn in faith to the one who brings sinners into the all-satisfying presence of the all-satisfying God by grace. If you are a Christian, coming back to Psalm 43, the psalmist calls out to God, cries out to God to guide him with light and truth into God's very presence, that God would, would shine a light that would guide the psalmist to God himself in the midst of great anguish. Many scholars uh, believe that the psalmist is longing for this literal homecoming from exile, that he's been exiled from the city of God, Jerusalem, and from the temple of God in that city, and that he longs to be led by light and truth to God uh, in the Jerusalem temple itself, that he has this particular place in mind and he longs to be in that particular place with God's people worshiping God. Others believe that, that the psalmist is expressing a more broadened hope, this, this hope of blessings that can be enjoyed even in exile, a looking to the light and truth of God even in suffering and tracing them to this experience of God himself when all has gone wrong. Like many of the psalms, the psalmist really leaves room for both, right? On the one hand, it makes perfect sense that the psalmist would long to be in the temple of God, in the city of God. And at the same time, the psalms include this broadened language, which is why they've become the hymn book of God's people, the language of God's dwelling, the language of God, our exceeding joy, which makes sense that this would be a hymn that any of us in this room could sing this morning. God, in, in this season of anguish, may your light lead me to your presence, to your holy habitation. May I see something of your goodness, glory, and grace, even in the midst of great sorrow. May I trace the light to its source, the sun. Reminds me of an essay by C.S. Lewis entitled Meditation in a Tool Shed. Fascinating title. In which Lewis says this. He says, I was standing today in a dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside, and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes, he says. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90 odd million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences, Lewis says. The point he's looking to make in that essay is that there are, <clears throat> there are really two ways to look at something or someone. You can look from an objective point of view, which is to look at the beam, studying it, observing it, seeking to make sense of it. 
or you can look from a subjective point of view, which is to look along the beam, experiencing it, basking in it, feeling its warmth. Essentially, Lewis goes on to argue that we need both, and, and I'm inclined to agree, but I think there's something else worth meditating on in Lewis's tool shed, something that maybe helps to make sense of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 43, namely, that it's not enough to simply bask in the beam. The beam must be traced to its source, the sun. Whether the beam of God's guiding light leads us into seasons of laughing and dancing, to use the language of Ecclesiastes, or into seasons of weeping and mourning, that both are meant to lead us, like the psalmist, into the very presence of God, to God our exceeding joy. I mean, none of us knows how 2019 is gonna play out. Look no further than Hebrews chapter 11, where the author of Hebrews talks about the commendable faith of a list of people. And somewhere around the, the middle point to the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says that there were some who by faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, received their dead by resurrection. And without so much as taking a pause to take a breath, he goes on to say, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted. And both categories of people, those who experienced great laughter and those who experienced great sorrow, both were commended for their faith. I have no idea how 2019 is gonna play out. It, it may be a year of great laughter, maybe a year of great sorrow, maybe a year of great gain, maybe a year of great loss. But in and through it all, God is guiding us toward his holy habitation, toward a deeper experience of him, toward a deeper intimacy with him, toward a deeper abiding sense of his presence in our lives. So the real question this morning is this, will we see God? Will we see him in 2019? To use Lewis's illustration, will we look past the beam to its source? If the beam of God's guiding light leads us into a season of laughter and dancing in the months to come, will we see past the gifts to the giver? Another way to ask it, will we enjoy the giver through his gifts? I think it's safe to say coming out of Christmas, this is particularly on our minds, that when we give gifts to loved ones, we, we want them to love those gifts, right? I mean, I gave my wife a ring on our 10-year wedding anniversary, and I can guarantee you the last thing I wanted to hear her say when I gave that to her was, this gift is meaningless, only you, baby. Didn't wanna hear that, right? We, we want our loved ones to enjoy the good gifts that we give to them. Nothing wrong with that. But we also don't want our loved ones to love those gifts more than they love us, right? There's a, there's a difference between enjoying a giver through his or her gifts and loving the gift rather than the giver. And so if the, if the beam of God's guiding light leads us into a season of laughter and dancing in the months to come, Will we trace those gifts to God himself? Will we acknowledge that God is the greatest gift who's greater than all of the gifts that he bestows upon us? And if the beam of God's guiding light, similar to last year for me, my family, leads us into a season of weeping and mourning, 
Will we see past the sorrows to the God who is sovereign over sorrow, willing and able to sustain us by his grace? In those moments of heartache, in those moments of loneliness, in those moments when our appetite has left us because the sorrow is so heavy, in those moments when the tears just won't seem to run their course, will we run to the God who knows what it's like to weep? Will we run to the God who knows what it's like to experience heartache? Will we run to the God who knows what it's like to face rejection? Because as a Christian, here's the beauty of the Christian life. You get to cast your cares on one who understands, namely Jesus. He's far more qualified to handle our cares than we are. And he invites us to approach his throne of grace this year, to trace our sorrows to the God who understands them and is sovereign over them. Listen to me, he never grows weary. He's strong and able, his hand is steady and his promises are true, church. Will we look beyond our circumstances, beyond the reminders of everything that makes this world sad? And I can tell you, I'm preaching this sermon to myself first and foremost. Will we see past our circumstances to a God who's wise? Will we see past our circumstances to a God who's loving? Will we see past our circumstances to a God who is good in and through it all? One of my favorite songs, a band called The Sing Team, we sing some of their stuff from time to time around here. Songs called Satisfied in You. I love these lyrics. For some of us, we'll need these lyrics in the months to come. Let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my losses show me all I truly have. All I truly have is you. Which is great evangelism, by the way. When you walk through the furnace of affliction and you can say Jesus is enough, that's incredible evangelism to a watching world. God intends to, to draw us closer to himself through both the joys and the sorrows of 2019, through the, the laughter and the weeping, through the dancing and the mourning. Only if we're able to look past the beam of God's guiding light to God himself, only then will we be able to say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. I think we have to wrestle with that question. Do I wanna see more of God? Do I wanna taste more of God? Am I willing to walk through whatever it is that he has for me to get there this year? So that I can say, I see more of your glory, God. I see more of your goodness. I see more of your grace. And listen, it, it won't happen without a little self-preaching. Look at verse five of Psalm 43. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. How do we fight against the urge to cut off our gaze at the beam itself, fixing our eyes only on the things that the Lord gives and takes away this year, missing God himself in the midst of it all? Well, for the psalmist, the spiritual discipline of self-preaching is not to be underestimated. Notice that he, he grabs himself by the proverbial collar and says, listen up, soul. There's a God to be hoped in. There's a God to be praised, even in this. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it in his work, Spiritual Depression. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning you have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? 
yourself is talking to you. He goes on to say, now this man's treatment in this psalm was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. Preaching the gospel to yourself is grabbing yourself by the proverbial collar daily, hourly, maybe even by the moment and saying, listen, self. It's reminding the soul in the laughter and the dancing not to miss the giver in the midst of his good gifts. It's reminding the soul not to forget that God is the greatest gift, greater than all of the good things that he bestows upon us. It's reminding the soul in the midst of the weeping and the mourning that God is there and that he's willing and able to sustain us by his grace. And here's some more good news. You and I are not alone in this. Not only do we have a God who understands and who is with us, but we have each other. That though Lewis's illustration is, is one of an isolated man standing in a tool shed, we the church stand together. We, we stand together as we embark upon a new year, none of us alone in this fight to see and savor this glorious, gracious, and good God. There to help each other cry out in moments that we just don't have the strength to do it ourselves, to cry out with the psalmist, even now you, O oh Lord, are my exceeding joy. I'm gonna need some of you personally this year. We're all gonna need each other. That's the beauty of the doctrine of the church. We've been given each other as a gift to preach the gospel into each other's lives when we struggle to preach it into our own lives because we're too weak and faint-hearted and feeble. There will be moments of laughter and dancing to come. There will be moments of mourning and weeping to come. My prayer is that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, no matter the circumstances that we would be able to say 359 days from now, as this calendar year that we just started comes to a close, that we would be able to say, each and every one of us, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I see something more of you, God, because of what you've done in my life this year. In a moment, we're gonna continue to worship in a number of ways as we do each and every week in this auditorium. We're gonna worship through the receiving of communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. What a great opportunity to acknowledge the hope that we have in Jesus as you prepare to come receive the elements, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup representing his shed blood. Just, just stop and pause for a moment and think about the wonder of the fact that Jesus has made a way for you to to taste and see that the Lord is good, to know the exceeding joy to be found in God. Jesus is the, the way, he's the truth, he's the light that leads us to God himself. And he is one who understands both the joys and the sorrows. Jesus has tasted tears and he's experienced laughter. Your God knows both. Remember that as you prepare to come and receive the elements this morning. There'll also be people in the back to pray with and for you. I don't know where you are this morning as you come in. If you come in with high hopes, uh, if you come in going, man, the first, I don't know, four or five days of 2019 felt a lot like 2018. Why does God always seem to want to rain on me? You're in good company. I felt that way for the last five days, just to be honest with you. Um, 
regardless of where you're at, if you want somebody to pray with you, for you, people will be available in the back of the auditorium to do that. And then we have an opportunity to worship through song as well, to sing to this God, to cry out to him like the psalmist in the midst of both joy and sorrow, and to ask him to reveal something more of himself to us this year as we embark on 2019.